Today I was praying and I was uh, just as we start the new year, I, uh, you know, I, I like to teach through the Bible. We're eventually going to get back to Mark. Who knows, maybe it'll be next week. But, you know, I, I want to take advantage of the new beginnings that God gives to us. And I think that God wants to do a new work. I think that God wants to do a deeper work. I really believe that the days of casual California Christianity should end. I believe that God wants to ignite a fire within us and God wants to make us the people that will bring him glory and honor, that we shouldn't be struggling through life, that we shouldn't be like people who just kind of getting by and that we got our head above water. No, we should be walking on water. And you know, as I was thinking about what God has done in the church, I was drawn here to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Eventually, we're going to focus on prayer. But for some of you here, you know, coming to Calvary Chapel Almani, it's kind of a new thing to you. And, uh, you know, maybe you don't know a lot of the history of the church. I, you know, to be honest with you, I'm blessed with what God has done in and through the church all around the world. But man, I'm super blessed by what he's done here in Calvary Chapel Almani. You know, I'm not just blessed, to be honest with you, I'm blown away. I'll be honest with you, I can still vividly remember talking to a pastor and telling him, I want to I wanna start a Bible study. I pray that God would raise up a church in Almani. You know what this pastor said to me? He said, you cannot start a church in Almani. He said, you'll never make it in Almani. Now imagine a pastor saying that to me, man. And you know, I'm not really certain why he said that. Sad to say, I honestly think he thought there wasn't a lot of money. That just goes to show you where his heart is. But you know what? You guys, our God is rich, right? And he's faithful, and he's gracious, and he has blessed his church all along the way. He has met every single need we have ever had and then some. You know, he has blessed us, and the truth is we haven't made it in Almani He's made us in Almani, right? He's made us disciples. He's made us fishers of men. He's made us more and more like him. By the grace of God, he has made us a church. And I remember the very beginning witnessing on the streets of Almani, which led to a little home study in Lexington, and then the doors were eventually opened to where we can have a Sunday service at Mountain View Park. And then we got this little building on Garvey. Years later, we came to this facility. And it's cool to see what God's done. I'm looking forward to great excitement as to what he has next. You know, some of you guys, you know the history. Others might not. But bottom line is, God has been gracious to us. You know, every once in a while, it's good to revisit and remind ourselves of our purpose as a church and, and really to reexamine our lives and make sure that we're doing things God's way. You know, I look back, I'm super grateful, but I'll tell you what, I'm not settled there. I, I love what God has done, but in the past, I wanted to be a springboard only for what he's going to do in the future because, you know, God's not done. This is just the beginning. I want to grow as a child of God. I want to grow as a servant of God, and I want you to grow as well in your commitment to him. I want you, all of you, every single one, young, old, new, doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God, I want you, God wants you to be blessed beyond measure to where your cup would overflow, to where he would open the windows of heaven and rain down on you, the loving blessings that he has for you. And so, you know, I, I bring to you this day, this study, man. I'm so grateful for what God has done. 
And you know, for us, maybe you're new, um, but I wanna share with you, first of all, the, the purpose and then the practice, and then we'll get into prayer. Number uh, three things, first of all, the purpose. Why are you a church? As a church, we're here, number one, to exalt God. In everything we do, we wanna give him glory. That's why we're here. It always has to be you know, run through the litmus test of that, whether or not this exalts God. Number two, we wanna edify the church. And what that means is to build you up, make you strong. That's what edification is. And then number three, we wanna evangelize the world. And so all the people that don't know Christ, all the ones that are out there and the highways and byways and valleys and alleys, the ones that maybe even in your family, maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord and you're on your way to hell and God wants to change you and reroute you and put you on the road that leads to heaven. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with crystal meth or pornography or you're having an affair or you find yourself addicted to whatever it might be. God is here to set you free to evangelize the lost. When I received the Lord, he gave me power. He'll give you power. That's why we're here. That's our purpose. And so how do we get there? And that moves us to our practice. And we read that here in Acts 2, in verse 42. It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And so what do you do when you go to church? You, you learn, right? Number one is teaching. And so it doesn't matter what event you go to, you know, you can go to the ladies' Christmas uh, uh, cocoa, you can go to the young uh, adults' uh, bowling night, you can go to the, the youth and they have the superhero uh, day. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, uh, you're gonna find that we open up our Bible and we give you a Bible study because we gotta continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And the other thing that we really encourage is fellowship, man. And by fellowship, I'm talking about really iron sharpening iron, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. You see, you got iron sharpening iron, and there's heat, there's intensity, there's friction. You know, we're talking about spiritual things. How are you doing? Fine. No, how are you really doing? I'm dying inside, I'm struggling, I'm going through this. Okay, let's open up, let's fellowship. You know, the guys get together and it's okay, man, we can cry together that the, that the Raiders lost. I mean, it's okay. And I was thinking about art, man, and I was just, oh, poor man. And you know, some of you here, you know, you like the Cowboys and we pray for you and, uh, <laughs> you know, I know God likes the Dodgers. We can talk about the Raiders, we can talk about the Dodgers, but you know what, that's not fellowship. Right? Fellowship is when we talk about spiritual things. Talk, fellowship is when, you know, uh, next week, I forgot to mention to you, we're having pasole after service. I mean, how awesome is that? You know, so we go and we eat, not just to raise funds for Mexico, although that is an awesome cause. We go and we eat because the pasole is so good and the fellowship is even better. You see, we get together with other couples and we have marriage couples fellowship all let me tell you all you married couples should be there i mean we need fellowship man because the devil is after your marriage and you may say it'll never happen to to me or to us and yet i can look at your marriage right now and i can tell you you're already drifting apart why wouldn't you come to the married couples fellowship we need this 
This is what we do as a church. The four things, we know our purpose, exalt God, edify the church, evangelize the world. Well, how do we do that with our four practices? Teaching, fellowship, communion. This is what he says right there. The the breaking of bread is when you focus on the cross. We're gonna have that today and we partake of communion. And I'll tell you this too. You don't have to wait until we do it as a church. You can do it at home. As a husband, you're the head of your home. You go to the store, get some pita bread, get some grape juice, get some Dixie cups, whatever it takes. You gather your family together and you lead them in communion. You get together with your friends, you single people, and it's cool, have a good time, but somebody say, hey, let's focus on Jesus. Let's gather together. Let's, man, make this what it should be where we as Christians find our our cause in the cross. This is what we do as a church. And then the fourth thing he mentions is, is prayers. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. It says in verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. If you go down to verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I mean, think about that. How awesome is that? Every single day, people were getting saved. And you go and you work and God opens a door and you share Jesus with somebody. Because what ends up happening is you become a strong, committed Christian. You fall in love with the Lord and he just, he just comes out of your, your lips all the time and they get saved over there. And before you know it as a church, every day people are getting saved. They don't have to come to the Harvest Crusade. They don't have to come to the Sunday service or the midweek, although, you know, hopefully God does great works there too. Every single day, people get saved. That's what ends up happening when we do what God calls us to do. That last one right there is prayers. You know, to me, although I can't say one's more important than the other, I'll tell you what, that right there is huge. And part of the reason I say that is because there are a lot of you here, you don't pray. You don't pray the way that you should. And today, God is gonna speak to us on the importance of prayer. You know, part of the reason that I was inspired to share this is because the other day I started a book. It's by an anonymous author, anonymous, and it's, it's called The Kneeling Christian. And man, it really, it stirred me up, man, to share with you guys what I'm gonna share with you today. A lot of the things I, I'm gonna share, I kinda got from the book, and then other things the Lord laid on my heart. But you know, the Bible says, and the things you've heard from me, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so I'm getting it from him, and I'm giving it to you, and hopefully one day, you know, you're gonna give it to others. But in the book, he talks about one time traveling to China. And when he went to China, he visited a temple there on one of their feast days. Many who were worshiping in that temple were in this shrine, and they brought with them these small pieces of paper in which they had handwritten prayers. And so, you know, you get like a little post-it note, you write your prayer on there, and then what you do is you crumble it up into a little ball, you, you dab it in the mud, 
And then what they would do in this temple, it was they, they would take this prayer request written on a piece of paper, smothered in mud, and what they would do is they would fling it to the idols. They would throw it to the idol because what they believed is that if that ball happened to stick to the idol, then their prayer would be answered. If not, every single one fell to the ground. You know, and sometimes I think we as Christians, you know, we look at stuff like that and we think, well, that's kind of how it works. God answers that one. God doesn't. Oh, well, too bad. So sad. And what ends up happening for us as Christians is we don't prevail in prayer. And it ought not to be that way. Is it not the fact that the majority of Christian men and women who pray to the living God know very little about the power of prayer? And yet prayer is the key which unlocks the door of God's treasure house. It is not too much to say that all real growth in the spiritual life, all victory over temptation, all confidence and peace in the presence of difficulties and dangers, all serenity of spirit in times of great disappointment or loss, all habitual communion with God depends upon that practice of prayer. So let me ask you, in all honesty, you don't have to answer out loud, how is your prayer life? There are some of you here, your prayer life is beautiful. I thank God for you. I believe that you are the ones that are, that are keeping me, keeping this church where it should be. But I, I'm afraid that for the most part, our prayer life is not all that great. You know, we need to make sure that we understand the way it works. I mean, if I was to give you these three words, I would have described, which one would best describe your prayer life? My prayer life is on fire. I wonder if the, any of you could say that. Maybe for some of you here, my prayer life is fine. Fine. You know, you had your head above water. Maybe, though, for most of you here, you probably say, my prayer life is flat. To be honest with you, it's kind of flat. Which of those three would you choose? You know, if I could offer a silly illustration, I think we're all familiar with cars, and we know a car has four tires, right? Four, just as Acts 2.42 has four fundamentals for the healthy church, the healthy Christian. But if one of those tires is flat, I guess the car could keep going, but that driver will know something's not right as they're driving. If one of those tires is flat, not only will your drive be rough, but it will keep you from your destination. If one of your flyer tires is flat, you won't go far. And, and for many of us, I would even dare to say most of us, our prayer lives are not anywhere near where they should be. And in the back of our minds and deep down in the deepest recesses of our heart, it doesn't matter how deeply involved you are in ministry, you know something's just not right. God loves me. I know that. I'm saved. Praise God for that. He's using my life. That's cool. But in the back of your mind, you know it's not what it should be, what it could be. Because you haven't been praying the way that you should. The answer is so simple, you guys. Let's do whatever we need to do to get everything and anything out of the way so we could pray. You guys, we gotta be a people who get on our knees, who take time and make time to talk with God. 
You know, for me, I like to wake up in the morning before everyone else. I go to my garage, I get on my knees, and I pray. Sometimes it's there in my office. Other times I'm driving. Sometimes when no one's here, I'll get here in the sanctuary. The only reason I tell you that is because I tell you this. You have to have a place where you meet with God. You know, somebody will make fun of me and they'll say, hey, man, is that all you got in your garage? No, I got tools too. Don't worry, okay? (laughs) But I have a little four-foot section. It's a table. I have about 10 books. And I have a carpet where I get on my knees. Some people say, well, man, you don't understand. I work early. You know what? I'm tired of hearing that. I got to tell you this. I used to work at 3 o'clock in the morning for seven years. But I knew how important it was for me to pray before I stood before men. I had to kneel before God. So don't use that excuse anymore. Go to bed early or do whatever you can to do the most important thing you can to seek God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Won't make him love you more. It won't mean, well, that's how I stay saved or get saved necessarily. It just means that you will experience the fullness of what God wants for you. You know, I thank him for all he's done. When I pray, I confess my sins, which are many, I pray for my needs, that's called supplication. I also pray for others. I pray for my family, I pray for this flock, I pray for the pastors, all their families. I pray for the overseers, I pray for God to do a work. I pray especially for those who are lost and backslidden that God would bring them back. As you're standing in the gap for other people, it's called intercession. And that's an interesting truth, I think, sometimes that we forget that really does make a difference, you know? There's an interesting passage over in the book of Isaiah 59 and verse 16, where the Bible says that God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Interesting passage. You know, it's almost as if to say that God was surprised by something unexpected and inexplicable No one's interceding, no one's praying, no one's helping. It's even stronger in another translation, Isaiah 59, 16, the NIV said he saw that there was no one, he was appalled, that there was no one to intervene. And so God wondered, God was appalled, wow, no one's praying, no one's really standing in the gap, no one's crying, even though many people are dying. Why are many disciples discouraged, depressed, defeated because they don't pray? Why are so few souls saved? Because we're not praying like we should. Why aren't our churches oftentimes on fire for God? Because we're not praying the way that we should. You see, the secret of all failure is our failure to pray in the secret place. There's another interesting passage in Isaiah 64, verse 7. It says, and there is no one who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. See, we need to stir ourselves up. We need to take hold of Jesus' garment so that he might heal us. And we need to meet with God in prayer, one-on-one, personally. You know, we need to meet together for prayer, congregationally. You know, when you pray alone with God, you find a place, just you and him, no one interrupts you. You know, even be careful with your phone, man, because next thing you know, you got 17 text messages and Facebook notifications and all those things. 
You know, but, but you and God, when you're, when you're praying to God, let it be for a long time. Let it be for the, don't give God the leftovers. Don't wait till the end of the day when you have no energy and you're sleeping and there you are, oh Lord, thank you for, and then that's your, that's your prayer time. What's your best time? For some it's mornings, others it's evenings, but you give God off the top, the fat of the firstborn, you give him the fruit, the first fruit, you give him the best and it'll be blessed. But make it long prayers when it's just you and God. When you're doing public prayers, hopefully you come on a Monday night or a Wednesday night for the ladies or a Saturday morning with the men, even tonight, Sunday night, six o'clock, and we're praying publicly, you're not gonna pray long prayers, but you're gonna pray deep prayers and you pray sincere prayers from your heart. Don't worry about what other people think about your prayers. All you have to be concerned with is, is it coming from God, from the heart? And you don't pray long when you pray publicly. My wife tells me that all the time when I'm praying for the food. Man, my food's all cold now because you prayed for such a long time, you know? I'm all, sorry, babe, trying to save the world. And she's all, well, you just prayed my hot dog cold. <laughs> and so, you know, we learn. I mean, when you're praying together and you're praying in a prayer meeting, it's almost like you got all these people and there's a tug of war. And the more people you got praying, the more powerful it is. Sometimes people have a prayer request they don't tell anybody, and why not? You're hurting, you're going through this, that's going on. Man, let the world know that they need to pray. Because then it's so cool what God does. You know, tonight we're praying. I had asked you guys, and I don't know if any of you remembered or not, but man, I just want to see God work. I want to see you blessed beyond measure. I want to see him lifted up. I want to see the devil crushed. I know we can't do it. The help of man is useless. I know that. But what if God wants to do something great in our generation through this congregation? So I invited you to pray and to fast. Yesterday was the first Saturday of the month. I said, hey, if the Lord lays on your heart one meal, I could already sense the prayers. This Saturday, if the Lord lays it on your heart, you fast two meals just giving you a friendly reminder. And then the third Saturday of the month, you fast all day. The only reason I'm saying that is because praying that God would stir us up and he would bless our church in such a way that we would see things done that have never been done. You know, um, tonight, six o'clock, I know it's hard and we've already got our routine. This is what I do on, on Sunday nights and I don't know what it is. And again, not to be overburdening anyone, but man, if you can make it, let's come, let's pray between six and seven, and let's see what God does. And we pray together, we pray personally. You know, wouldn't it be so cool, C.H. Spurgeon had the joy of being able to say that he conducted a prayer meeting every Monday night with over a thousand people present. Imagine that, if our biggest meeting became our prayer meeting. Imagine what God would do if we prayed. All lack of success, all failure in the spiritual life and in Christian work is due to defective or insufficient prayer. Unless we pray right, we can't live right. 
I know at first it might seem like an exaggeration, but the more we think it over in the light of Scripture, the more convinced, convinced we'll be of the truth of that statement that all lack of success and all failure in the spiritual life and Christian work is due to defective or insufficient prayer. A lot of you here, you say, I believe in God. Do you believe God? There's a difference. Jeremiah 33, verse 3 says, Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things that you do not know. The Bible says in Jeremiah 29, 12 through 13, Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Do you believe God? So that you might receive the promises of God. You know, Matthew 21, if you would, let's turn there. I read a true story of a new believer who one day he, he burst into the room with an open Bible in his hand and the Bible was a new book to him. And so he was determined to read it with an open heart and he was constantly making new discoveries. I don't know if you remember the first time you read the Bible. And so that's what this guy is going through. And on this particular day, he just stormed into the room and it seemed like his face was glowing and his voice was filled with joy and surprise as he asked the old believer who was in the room, do you believe this? What he was referring to was Matthew 21 in verse 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. So the new believer came in and he asked this old believer, is it true? Do you, do you believe this? And the old believer said, well, yes, of course it's true. Of course I believe it. Yet through his mind there flashed all manner of thoughts. Well, that's a, a wonderful promise, the, the new believer said. It seems to me to be absolutely limitless. Why don't we pray more? And he went away, leaving the old believer thinking hard, long, and deep. Do we realize the importance of prayer? That's why the devil doesn't want you to do this. And that's why you haven't. His great concern is to keep us from praying. He loves to, to see us over our heads working as long as we're not praying. He doesn't fear the eager, earnest Bible student as long as they're not praying. And that's the answer to the question, why don't we pray the way we should? Because we can't get past Lucifer and the locked door of the devil. And so there's that door the devil has set up because he doesn't want you to pray. I say we kick it down. I say we make it the priority of our life, because God's first. Nothing else is more important than prayer. 
Ah, oh, come on, Manny, I'm a busy man. I have a lot of work to do. I'm important. Yeah, right. Besides that, the game's on today. Well, you know, I understand that. I'll tell you what. You know, pray for the Raiders. Maybe that's why they lost. <laughs> Did you pray for them? Pray the way you should. Then watch the game. Haven't you learned that? I mean, the priorities of life, you get to do what you want to do after you've done what you have to do. Isn't that the way it works? What are you doing watching the game? Now we have hope for the Dodgers. We can go into the new year knowing that we got to pray. Listen, if you're too busy to pray, then you're too busy. Bottom line is, right? B-U-S-Y, it's an acronym for being under Satan's yoke. That's why you're doing all those things you're doing. Oh, it's because, you know, I got to take care of my kids or I got to, you know, make, make some more money. And no, it's the devil. It's the devil. If you're not praying the way you should, you know, get with God, sift through your schedule, get rid of the chaff, get out of bed early, pray as you should, then you can watch the game or do whatever you gotta do. You know, that's for the guys. You ladies too, I know it's a challenge, but God is faithful to provide a way to pray even though the times get so difficult. And I know even some of you here, you have plenty of children. God is, is gracious and God leads you gently, but don't think that it means that you don't have to pray. You know, Susanna Wesley was married to a preacher. They had 10 children, of which two grew up to bring millions of souls to Christ. That's John and Charles Wesley. But it wasn't easy for her. Uh, she married a man who couldn't manage his money. They disagreed on everything uh, from money to politics. They actually had 19 children. Nine of them died at infancy. Sam, her husband, left her to raise the children along many times, for long periods of time, sometimes leaving her over an argument. One of their children was crippled, another couldn't talk until he was six years old. Susanna herself was sick most of her life. There was hardly anything, there was hardly any money for food, even he was thrown into prison one time because they couldn't pay their bills. Twice their home burned to the ground, losing everything they owned. It was assumed that their church members did it because they were so mad at what Sam preached from the pulpit. Someone slit their cow's udders so they couldn't have milk, killed the dog, burned their flax field. I mean, they went through so much. But when Susanna was young, she promised the Lord that for every hour she spent in entertainment, she would give to him in prayer and the word. And so taking care of the house and raising the kids made this commitment nearly impossible to fulfill. At the end of the day, she had no time for entertainment. And so she worked in the gardens, milked the cows, schooled the children, managed the entire household herself, and so what she did is she decided instead to give the Lord two hours of prayer every day. Ten kids, all that trouble, all that responsibility. How in the world did she find the time to pray two hours every day? 
And she didn't, she didn't find the time, she made the time. You know, she struggled to find a secret place to get away with him, and so what she did is she told her children that when they saw her with her apron over her head, that meant she was in prayer and couldn't be disturbed. And so they saw her there every day. She walked with Christ, prayed for her children, stayed in the word, no matter how hard life got. It doesn't mean that everything went according to script, but I tell you what, her sons, John and Charles, changed the world. They brought great glory to God. John Wesley preached to nearly a million people in the 1700s. At the age of 70, he delivered a message to 32,000 people at one time without a PA system. He brought revival everywhere he went, and his brother Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns. Many of them we still read today. Even though life was so difficult, Susanna Wesley prayed two hours every day. I'm pretty sure that the amazing ministry of John and Charles Wesley, which reached millions of souls back then and still touches lives today, is simply because one mom was willing to put her apron over her head and pray. Let us never forget the greatest thing we can do for God and his people is for us to pray. We can accomplish far more by our prayers than by our works, and we need to know that. We need to trust him. You know, we need to trust him. You know, I can come to you today and my hair is combed. Did you guys notice? My eyebrows are plucked. My pants are pressed, my shoes shined, sermon polished. God's going to bless. I'm wearing my lucky sweater. Whatever, you know, I mean, people got stuff like that. But if I haven't prayed, I don't belong up here. Our confidence is not in the flesh. He gives weight to the words, not man. I don't care how fancy the delivery. Without God, it falls on deaf ears. That's why we got to pray. And John, if you go to John chapter 14. I know after the service today, I know someone's going to come up to me. The one thing they're going to get out of this study. Do you pluck your eyebrows? Have to. <laughs> John 14, in verse 13, and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Notice John 15, in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And the Lord says, hey, as he's getting ready to go, this is right before he goes to the cross, and before he takes off, he says, you guys are gonna take over when I take off, and I want you to know something, that in order for you to do ministry the right way, you're gonna have to learn to pray, and you have to learn to claim the promise that whatever you ask, I will answer 
So make sure you ask. My Father will be glorified. And if you abide in me and I in you, what's that? It's a life of obedience. Then you will ask whatever you want. I'm going to give it to you. I promise you. You know, and I'll be honest with you, I want to obey God because he died for me. I owe him my life. I, I want to obey him because he loves me and I love him. I don't want any sin in my life. Nothing. I don't ever want to look at a girl the wrong way. I don't want to think things that are wrong. I don't want to see anything on TV that's wrong. I don't want sin in my life because I love him, but also because I know that if there is sin in my life, he won't answer my prayers. And here I am praying for my son, praying for my daughter, praying for my wife, praying for the church, praying all these things because I'm not abiding in his word. My prayer life dies. I know if you go over to verse 16 of John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Isn't that cool, you guys? Not only are you going to get fruit, but it's going to be fruit that remains. And so, you know, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, they were born in 1702. Here they are in the year 2016, still bearing fruit. Why? Because Susanna Wesley prayed for two hours every day with an apron over her head. That's why. If you go over to John 16, in verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full because what ends up happening when you pray is you pray in Jesus' name and what Jesus is saying is I want you to know ultimately it goes all the way to the top. My Father hears your cries. We're not throwing these little prayer requests covered with mud at some idol. We are standing before the throne of God as his children invited as his son and daughter and God hears. Glory to God, fruit for God, even joy from God. You know, James 4, 2 and 3, it says, you lust and do not have, you murder, covet, can't contain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. That's why. I was watching the game. I was watching my cat shining, polishing the car when I should have been praying. We have to ask and we have to do it for the right reason. There in John, he says that when you pray, you give glory to God. If you could ask God for one thing today, what would it be? I know for most of us here, for many of us here, it's for our kids. God, save them. God, light a fire in their heart. A lot of us here, it's you know, maybe our unsaved spouse or marriage because you can't make it happen. You can't change him. You can't change her. 
God can. God can deal with them. I could tell you my personal prayer request, but I won't. I can tell you one, though, that I do pray. You know, I pray consistently. I pray for a building. You know, because um, it would be cool to have a building. We won't have to pay rent, throw our money away, and then one day when I die, I'll know there's a church planted in Almani. Because this is where God called me. But, you know, it's not too hard for God. He can do whatever he wants. But more than that, every time I pray that prayer, I always talk to the Lord about how much more important than having a building is that God would build up his people. Because you're his building and he lives inside of you and I want you, God wants you to be strong. Jesus said, I will build my church and he wasn't talking about some physical structure. He was talking about a body of believers that he died for, that he redeemed. The Bible says, one of my favorite verses, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. So I'm praying for a building, and you know, but, but primarily we're praying for you. And we can pray these requests, and we can bring them before God, and we can see, and we're gonna see him move mountains. You know, when I think of prayer, because I'll be honest with you, I was looking at my life and I was thinking, well, the Lord's already answered a lot of prayers. He already has. Uh, it's been cool. And it's kind of like a child. You know, uh, your children, you know, they ask you for things. And so, you know, you got the little kids. They come up after me after service, to be honest with you. For those of you who have little kids, I'm so sorry about this. But they come up and they ask for lollipops. And I give it to them. Usually I'll say, well, don't eat it unless it's okay with your parents, but not always. You know, and they're asking for things, and they're getting things. They don't even really know all the dynamics of it. You know, so there is a place for that in the church, uh, Christian prayer, childlike faith. You know, if I ask God, he's going to give it to me. If I ask my mom and dad, you know, they, they love me, and they don't know how it all works and there's a good place for that. But you want to know something? It should move from, from being like childlike infancy. It should move to then becoming the bride of Christ, intimacy. So, so now uh, when I go and I pray, I mean, there is this fellowship with God that is so beautiful. It's like the love that a man has for a woman in their intimate time together. That's what prayer becomes. It moves from infancy to intimacy. And then your joy is full. You know, you, you think of these people like Amy Carmichael. She was used by God in such a great way. You know, to bring these little girls out of temple prostitution and into salvation, and God did such a great work there. Her story is just absolutely phenomenal. 
But you know, when it all started, she had such an intimate prayer life with God that one day she's sitting there, there's an opportunity to get one of these little girls out of the temple prostitution. And she says to God as she's praying, she says, Lord, only if we receive the exact amount that is needed, then Lord, Allah, I'll go forward with this. She prayed specifically for 100 rupees. That was her prayer life. Guess what she got? 100 rupees. George, George Mueller, I mean, this guy was crazy. You gotta read his, 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 his diary, you know? Yeah, guys keep diaries. He did. And um, it was a cool story one time where he had prayed for a chair. Imagine that, praying for a chair. But, you know, he asked, you know, Lord, if, I, I would, if you would, I would need this chair as we're out there in the ministry. And so, you know, he sensed in his heart as his intimacy with God, God said, you got it. It's yours. It's all yours. And so they're getting on the train. They're ready to take off. And the conductor says, we got to go. And then George Moore says, you know, but they're supposed to deliver my chair. And he says, I'm sorry, but there's no way that that van's going to make it in time. And George Mueller just so cool. He just said, no, it'll be here. 100% sure. Because he knew the voice of God. He was intimate. Sure enough, the chair shows up right before they leave. Why? Was it for George Mueller? Why did God wait so long? Because in God's perfect timing, he would be glorified. And this man saw, wow, that guy prays to the living God. See, it's got to move from infancy to intimacy. What is prayer? Well, if you were to go to catechism, there's a great definition of prayer. Prayer is an offering of our desires unto God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. Beautiful, technical, theological definition of prayer. But for the mature Christian who loves God, what is the personal definition? You wanna know what it is? It's found in Psalm 25, verse one. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. All that true prayer seeks is God himself. For with him we get all we need. And here it is. Prayer is simply the turning of the soul to God. And as you're there, what do you do? You pour out your heart. Are you a man of prayer? Are you a woman of prayer? I'll tell you what, man, when I found myself in those difficult situations, I called a handful of people that I knew, pray. Man, I pray that as time progresses, that more and more we would become those people. You know, all that true prayer is, is something that we need as Christians to become healthy in order that we might get supernatural things done, made only possible through a life of prayer. As a matter of fact, that's how we became Christians, huh? You guys remember when you got saved? You prayed a prayer to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's how it starts, from the heart. And may it continue there. 
I pray that if you're here today and you haven't, man, really taken this seriously, this life of prayer, that everything would change, that you would find a place, that you would make the time, that you would get on your face, you would get on your knees, that you would stop making lame excuses, and you would understand the importance of spending time with